Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. And uh, hey, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Okay, so we have a frequent guest on, and and I think it's it's part of the whole. Um, the reason why I love having him on is well read. He he looks at things differently, somewhat differently than I do, but a lot of times we align. And and we really sound off on the big issues, and I think that's part of the reason why I love having him on. Jeff Cox, welcome to the big show again. Always good to be here. Now, um, you and I have been chatting off air. Uh, there is so many candidates for the municipal election. Like, there's so many. And I almost wonder, and again, this is preposterous, but I'm going to try. What if we were to limit or make it tougher for people to put their name forward as a candidate? Like, they would have to... There would be some sort of vetting process so that we wouldn't have 37 candidates because <laughs> you and I, who I think are more, you know, we, we like to be well read about who's running, but it's almost impossible to go through 37 resumes. Kind of sounds anti-democratic though, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. I know. And, and that's what I mean is, it, you know, you have to let due process and everything else. But I don't know. It, it's just really tough. And I think most voters are struggling. I would agree. I'm struggling. And, and you know, this is what we talked about off the air. I get text messages. I mean, my phone is constant, right? Hey, I need some help. Why? So do I. A lot of help. Yeah. But in this scenario, I, I would agree. I think the challenge that we're having, uh, I think the an- my answer to it, um, and I might be on an island of my own, but my answer to it is to start forming municipal political parties, which exist in, in major jurisdictions. So, um, it's start, it is starting to happen in, in some form. Um, I, I, over the weekend, uh, got on, a, um, um, I was going to call it accountable, livable Kelowna. Okay. Uh, and, and started to see their forum, AKA the green party that, that is kind of sure. what they were, but, um, fair enough. they they picked their candidates and this is what we're running with. Uh, they asked a series of questions. Some some responded. Some didn't respond. Uh, this goes back to the four change uh, movement that happened eight years ago in the city. I think it's time though to actually have a line candidacy. So so you could have three, two, four parties, mm-hmm. and say in the political spectrum of of you know left and right. Yep. You know, okay. you fit somewhere on this map, and you run candidates through that party. And it simplifies the process for for Joe Public, who needs help to, to make these decisions. You can't put a slate of 40 people in front of somebody and expect them to get to the bottom of it. Because I try, and again, the forums that exist, um, whether it's whether it's media outlets or it's groups like Livable Kelowna that are forming, it's very hard to sort through and, and get the answers that you need. Some... Forums focus only on the mayor's seat, although you could argue the other the other seats are as important. So we got to make some changes to the way that we're we're going to run municipal elections. I believe moving forward. And the other part that I struggle with when I've had to sit through a council meeting is I would even reckon it would be 60, 70 percent of the issues at hand are land use issues. Correct. And you have a lot of people sitting in seats that fundamentally don't have any exposure to those kind of issues until they sit on council. Now right. I now I understand we need different sectors of the population to sit on the council seat, which is really a reflection of our society and everything else. But that being said, you have an easement property over here based on neighbor A having an issue with neighbor B. And there's fundamentally knowing what the land use codes are and bylaw and city staff helps you with that. 
but it it really when I'm sitting there going, man, lives are changing with each decision, and you have people who don't have perhaps the background, and I'm not suggesting any current counselors, but I'm just saying people applying, it takes you a while to figure out what is going on. I would even say six months into your council seat going, what is actually happening? Because you sit there like a fly in the wall until you actually figure out, okay, oh, that's what that person does. Okay. And then they try and figure out this, the complexities of, of these massive issues and that's my un- other fear, which is putting people into the seats that, I mean, are not qualified. And four days later, have to make a decision. Four days. Yeah. Four days after you're elected, you're you you are going to be faced with your first 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 tenure decision. Which is which is why incumbents often get reelected because Correct. they're like, well, nothing really fell apart during their tenure, so I think yeah. we're okay with that. It'll be super interesting. It's not unique to Kelowna. There's a lot of um, noise right now around municipal elections because so many other um, political issues are creeping into municipal elections, and you see candidates running these platforms. I'm gonna, I, I, you know, I'm gonna tackle, I'm gonna tackle our traffic issue. <laughs> you are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and again, though, it's things like that. You know, healthcare is front and center for me. Okay, do you, do you know Adrian Dix? Like. And I'm not, I mean, I'm being facetious, but the reality, because I get it, because it pulls at the heartstrings, because I am fatigued on some of the things going on in our city, but this will be a very interesting uh, municipal um, race right across the country, because even today, uh, the Vancouver Police Department has endorsed, for the first time, a political candidate in Vancouver. So really? wow. Yes. And and again, they're taking a lot of heat, but but they've hit a wall where they're like, we can't do this anymore. So they've chosen a political candidate and said, this is a candidate we're behind. Things are shifting, and this is a message to anybody who wants to get into politics today or in the future is is be very cognizant of, of what you're signing up for and make sure that you understand um, you know, who you represent, what your constituencies want, because we're about to see, a, I believe, a major overhaul locally and I think across the country because people are fatigued on what's going on. and the, But the reality is a lot of them are not municipal problems. No, and, and that's where I have probably the, the biggest <clears throat> issue is, you know, you want candidates that are going to move the needle and they're going to create change and change in a good way. And they actually know how to build advocacy along the different levels of government needed to enact change. Like, I'm going to change the HOV lane. Are you? Okay. So, Again, further your point about Adrian Dix, do you have people, do you have an idea or a plan going forward of what that even looks like? A second bridge crossing. I mean, that one touches so many different levels of government. Not to say that I want to poo-poo any any idea or initiative. Like, that's not the case here at all. I want to know, you as a candidate, have you researched how to fundamentally create the change, the environment to push this forward and get to the next step. And even if you got a meeting with the provincial ministers responsible for that action, that would be even a win. Right. Like, and I'm not saying, and, and it's almost impossible to know the work being done currently with the city staff or with, with councillors or mayors or what have you on what is actually going to happen or what is in place right now. So I, I get all that and I know it's the whole game, but... I want to know that my candidates that I vote in, 
know how the system works and they don't just sit there and beat their chest and say, I'm going to create change. But people, people, want to, people also want action. And, and I was talking about this prior to coming on the air. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I semi-short-circuited last week and... and Oh, no, it was a full-blown. <laughs> it was DEFCON 4. Jeff Cox, Def, DEFCON 4. But, but listen, here's the deal. I, and I, and I, you know, I talked to this on another media, media last week is, is my, you know, I'm literally uh, getting harassed as a, as a homeowner in this city about parking. And in short term, I, like I, as I explained, I, we have family living with us because they're, 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 they're downsizing their house and their new house isn't ready. And we've talked to our neighbors. And yes, I own it that like we were supposed to have a certain pass and we had the wrong pass, but we don't typically park in the street. So, you know, again, this all crept up on us. And then when we realized it, uh, I went to get that pass renewed and I have to go in person with my license and another piece of documentation and the list goes on and the bureaucracy. So the reality is what happened is- To my, park outside of your to house. park outside of my own house. But <laughs> but that's not even my challenge because I recognize there's rules. We have a we have a bylaw officer, a parking attendant that, that is, has had three adversarial interactions with my wife or my mom in the last two weeks. So actually waiting for them to leave the house, at which point he gets out to have an interaction. Does somebody have a bee in their bonnet? So my point is this though. Yeah. Why, this is where people start to get frustrated, is why we, we have the resources to harass taxpayers, but we don't have the resources to deal with the fact my car was broken into twice in the last month because honestly, in my neighborhood, I'll, although I, you know, I live in a very, I get it, it's a transient area, I live between the hospital and downtown, we, no one can respond to that. It's no one's problem. But you park my GMC in the wrong spot for an hour, and guess what? And and I think that's what people are starting to get fatigued on, is, is, is the bureaucracy that we know exists. And again, that's not a challenge. But when it comes to some come to things to the issues that are really facing this city, um, everybody says their hands are tied. But there's no money in helping move the homeless away from a certain encampment. There's no money in that. There's a way more paperwork. There's way more arduous task versus giving your wife a ticket. But they're significant. But and, but I agree. I, on the on the surface, I agree with you. But the reality is that's not true because there's significant savings in in dealing with these issues. First of all. Broken windows alone go into the millions of dollars just in this city, just in this city, let alone let alone across the country. Um, vandalism, um, um, the, this cleanup of, of 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 garbage and and frankly feces and needles and drug paraphernalia. I I mean that list is quite long, but it's reactive. So if we proactively deal with it, we actually do. We do save money and we might not have to hand out parking tickets because we actually, we wouldn't need to generate a base to pay for this stuff. And it's cyclical and that's my point. And that's a simplified version of it. But I'm just getting to, this is what I'm suggesting is, this is what people are frustrated with. Mm -hmm. They look at the city and go, you guys haven't, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything to deal with my day-to-day issues. Now, do a lot of those issues fall in the province and the federal government? Yeah, and I know that, but we hit a wall when we when we constantly get needled about crap that doesn't seem to matter, and yet we can't deal with the big stuff. Did you use that as a as a pun? Needled, because <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. 
a new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. But, uh, but I do think you're, you're right when you get, and, and I'm going to use the word harassed, about where you park in front of your house. And clearly, there might be some, somebody with, with a bit of a grudge. And, you know, again, that's something else entirely. But on the other side, there are certain workplaces where women cannot leave or, or cannot work past five o'clock for fear of work of going to their car alone. And I think when you get into that environment for a city, that's a really dangerous part because you think about business development and you think about, okay, we're going to recruit people. Well, what is the housing like? Eh. <laughs> what are the prices like? Eh. Uh, what's the safety like? Eh. So now all of a sudden you have a city, an environment where you're thinking, okay, we're going to add jobs and you have this environment that's not exactly feasible for a lot of people moving in here. And I think when you're getting targeted for where you park, uh, any taxpayer is going to go, okay, you're, you're allocating resources to police me who pay, I'm going to guess, anywhere between five and eight grand for property taxes. Mm-hmm. Now, they're already getting their pound of flesh out of you. And, and I think that's where I would have a problem too is why wouldn't that same person move a couple blocks down or, or start creating some sort of sense of order or peace around a housing community? Like, I mean, when people can't, like, honestly, if my car got broken into twice, I would be flipping out. But to st- and to steal a stroller. You know, and and raid and raid a raid a console and take the take the shelf in the console with you. Like, dude, you know what that shelf cost me to get replaced? Like, can you just leave the shelf? You know, and, and that's the part that you know. And somebody else. I mean, I mean, so what? That stroller is going to go through uh, a, a a pawn shop that takes stolen goods. I, I'm again, I'm not very focused on. So I I know. Years ago, there was a real work with pawn shops to to stop that in the city. So yeah. I don't know where these goods go. Certification, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so the reality is like, like I just like how do you follow that stroller through, and what was it worth in the end, right? Because I don't know what I had to pay for it. And and I'm hearing about catalytic converters. Right. One was taken off the food bank truck recently, like last week, and multiple. It's happened to you guys. It's happened to the food bank multiple times and batteries taken off. So the catalytic converter is an interesting one because who is actually buying these things and are they being tore down for their precious metals? Like, again, you don't even know what's happening out there, but the cutting off the head of the snake and, and it's the food bank truck. Like it's the, it's the truck that carries food to the people that need it. (laughs) Like, I mean, honestly, and, and I know uh, Trevor, the, uh, Trevor Moss from the, the Central Okanagan Food Bank would, you know, uh, this is something that's ongoing and everything else. But I mean, I, I'm sounding off as a, as a citizen who gives to the food bank going, this is, this is out of hand. It's out of hand. And, and here's the thing. One, um, this, this, I just read this before you and I came on. So the, um, Sarnia police, um, in Ontario have made 30 arrests in the last two weeks. There's 150 charges, 
And here's the bottom line. Drug overdoses have reduced by 50% in the last two weeks. So they have pulled, they have made a decision in Sarnia that they're done with it. And they know they have a lot of work to do, but they've said enough is enough. They have pulled 30 key people off the street with 150 different charges and fatalities of drug overdoses has reduced by 50% in that time period. Wow. We are not talking about, a, a, there are 106, I think like there's, I, I believe the gospel mission keeps account. And I'm not, and again, I'm not, again, I want to be careful. This is not, I don't believe that everyone that lives on the street is a criminal. And, and like, I, I can go a little bit woke here for a second. I'm not, I'm, there are, I have worked in this, in, I, the mental illness and the addiction, and there's other challenges. These are people's kids. Let's not forget that. But the reality is above them are people so, so that is that is the homeless population that's trying to survive and feed feed typically typically addiction issues. Okay, some to eat, some not, but they feed in to systems of organized crime. And again, when you make thirty arrests and get one hundred and fifty charges and reduce overdoses by fifty percent in a two week period, some there's something there, right? So, so again, empirically, right? And we've not had a run like that in this city, in my memory, where we've gone out, gone up and rounded, rounded them up and said, mm. enough is enough. You know, you can, you know this, you have a relationship with the superintendent of the RCMP. They're, they know who the, they know who, they know who, who the, the bad guys are. Sure yeah, they yeah. do. But they can't make a rest because they know they're not going to stay locked up. Which then leads to the next question. And and I don't, like, I don't want Donald Trump this year. We need to know who our judges are. You know, where do they live? You got to be careful. <laughs> but that's the next question. So so what is going on in our judicial system? These people are getting out, right? There, 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 was, a, there was a heroin addict in Vancouver who just got put in jail on the weekend um, for stabbing something with a machete. 15 charges um, going back to 2000. 18. Uh, he was the guy that was following the girl through Chinatown. Remember she had the phone up and she's, and then she sat down with a group and said, this guy's been following me for half an hour. Can I sit with you? Mm -hmm. And then he finally veered off one day in jail, 12 months probation. Really? Yeah. So finally he's now taken a machete to two people last week and they've denied him bail. I don't know where he sits today, but obviously we have factually, we can see that if we pull these people off the street, things get better. I don't think jail's the answer, but we've got to, we've got to, we've got to figure something out here. We, we need to spend some time with the, uh, again, through, through the work of the urban caucus mayor's caucus, there has been, uh, recommendations and I do applaud Mr. Bazran for being part of that caucus and, and bringing these ideas forward. And, and they were, the province said the word mandated. So mandated as in incarceration, institutionalized, those kind of, they're bending towards the will of the people, which is we're tired of prolific offenders. Like when you have that small percentage that make up 80% of the issues, it, it makes a very overwhelming case that we need to deal with this. And I do think if, if we had Darren Call on here, he would probably advocate for the fact that there's caseload. There is issues with the prisons because they, of course, they were decimated by COVID. Yep. The capacity isn't there. Like there's a lot of a ripple effect that goes along with COVID, which we're still feeling the after effects. And I get all that. But when Sarnia says enough is enough, and they would be on a much larger scale, 
based on population density and that kind of thing. I think there's a real case for that. And I think if we were to have uh, Kara on tomorrow, she would probably be an advocate for for this sort of idea or thought. So why, and I think this is where people start to ask the question is, so instead of, instead of harassing women at 9am about where they park, why, why can't that, why can't we reallocate those resources? No one says you need to give them a gun and start letting them walk down Bernard, but like, you're telling me that resource can't be reallocated to help with the challenges we're having with crime. Like it can't be, you know, we can't like, I mean, surely these are trained, trained professionals. Like mm-hmm. there has to be a hybrid model where they can work with the RCMP. So city municipal bylaw officers can work with the RCMP to say, no, we've had enough. No, when someone is acting erratically, you know, another friend this morning phoned me saying he took his family downtown yesterday. The guy, they were, guy was walking in front of him, literally flipped his jacket up and started um, injecting drugs in front of him. He's like, I got a, I got a one-year-old and a three-year-old with me. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at me like, like, where are we? So there, there has to be another solution though. And that, that with all the resources the city has, we have to be able to figure something out because it, it that's where it, ha- it has to start here. Yes, UBCM, there, there's great. You're out. You're, you know, we're 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 going to go advocate for, with, at the provincial level with a government that that let's be frank could care less about this valley. So you you were uh, you and I were discussing the article um, by Zito. What was it about the activists for the encampment? Yep. <clears throat> um, do you want to share some of the 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 high points of that article? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm a Adams Evo fan. He writes for the National Post. He always seems to hit it. I, I really connect with most of the things he says, but. His, his argument is what is happening, uh, he talked more, uh, he, he referenced Vancouver. Um, there was no reference, obviously, to Kelowna. This is on a bigger scale. But he referenced in Vancouver the challenges that they're having is people, the not the encampment people. So where these encampments are happening are, are in major centers is in, is in low-income areas. So um, typically low-income immigrants, low-income disabled, um, you know, just impoverished groups of people that are actually not drug addicts and not street, not on the street. So they're living in low-income housing. And what's happening is they're posting on social media, hey, my neighbor got stabbed today or hey, um, I was beaten with a steel bat. These are real stories that are happening every day. You know, in in Chinatown, we had a, a Afghan immigrant get stabbed, um, right? Like they, the the list goes on. There now, these people, this this group of 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 impoverished, is getting bullied on social media when they make a post by the the empathetic. People that are apparently, um, you know, all for allowing tent cities and encampments to happen. So imagine that you say, I can't deal with this anymore in my neighborhood. There's an encampment here and and I'm being harassed physically and verbally every day and, and I'm being stolen from and I don't know what else to do and I'm in a small minority and I don't have access to a politician. So I'm posting on Facebook and then this group that thinks they're empowered to protect these people that that claim it's in empathy are writing them in direct messages saying, you post again, I'm going to bash your head in. Mm-hmm. 
So that was an example that Adam Zivo used in this. Like, it's the insanity of what we're of what we're doing, and I don't think people connect those dots that it's that they think, oh, oh, they're you know these people are are righteous fighters for the poor. No, they're not. They're righteous fighters for people that are on the street, right or wrong, and then they're using uh, vindictive matter to to tell people that if they post about what this encampment's doing, that they're going to come bash their skull in. That's that's a little bit crazy to me. My my problem, well, I have several problems, of course, with uh, with this and and other things. But one of the things that it's kind of interesting about what you just said is there. These might be the same people that if I was to ask them, so are you going to have you know a, a homeless person over for dinner? Because clearly you're an advocate for no. Yeah. Uh, are are you giving money to this initiative? No. Like there, the problem is your actions do speak louder than words. Now, if, if like Mother Teresa, she was down in Calcutta helping up the poor, giving the the sandals off her feet. Like she was one of those people that fundamentally it was tough not to. You couldn't argue with her because she was actually doing what she said she was going to do, which was help the poor. I don't think these same people, these these social media warriors, would have the same background or body of work to to fall back on and say what are you doing other than being this this warrior on the keyboard and i don't think your actions would follow what you're saying well yeah i mean there's no room for violence at any point in our well, society no, but, i mean but, but the hypocrisy would be it, i are, think it's unparalleled but it's the, but but again rick this is that and and it's become you know, I actually read a really interesting article on this on the weekend too about woke versus tokenism, and and this is what the woke has become. You know, woke was not supposed to be a bad word, and it and it in in most circles has become the the bottom feeders of the world. And the reality is, this is this is again, this is that elitist liberal woke movement that 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 really tokenizes a group of people and says we care, and it's and it's just crap. And, and it has to stop. And that's, that's what has to fundamentally change. We as a society have to stop being quiet on these issues. You know, everybody's so scared of getting canceled that no one wants to speak up. Right. And, but it's true. Right. You can't, listen to this guy. He's not for, he's not for homeless and cameras. No, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm empathetic. I, I, again, I've, I've worked in the addiction and mental space. Um, I have volunteered at the gospel mission. I have not, and not for a weekend, for, for years, what, you know, week in and week out, you know, um, or, or, you know, in, in, in my late twenties, I have, I lived, I've, I was on the board of crossroads. I've worked in addiction centers. I understand what is needed, but that does not give you the right to disrupt people's lives, especially the the group of people we need to be taken care of, which is impoverished, impoverished disabled, impoverished immigrants. Like these are areas where we should be rising up. And you got to define the difference between that and someone that's shooting heroin on the street. There is a fundamental difference. Uh, back in a bit with uh, more Jeff Cox. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. Okay, so I... 
I want to dive into this part because, uh, again, I was having a visit over in Alberta. I have friends, family that are nurses. One works on a helicopter, Stars Ambulance, and uh, the other one works in a emergency capacity. And we were just talking about the fact that the, the helicopter, the Stars helicopter, it's a response uh, for emergencies and that kind of thing. For those that don't know, you can Google it. But anyway, he was doing a lot of work in uh, Prince George, Dawson Creek. Like there was uh, a bear mauling and and there was a dirt bike incident. And he was covering the northern BC. We don't have that coverage. Otherwise, you would think that those helicopters would be there with those trained personnel. And then he talked about another incident where he had an incident with a friend's uncle collapsed Penticton ambulance was called and he looked in the ambulance and this is somebody who, you know, again, treats and tends to people while they're laying in various parts of distress. And uh, he looked in the ambulance and said, you have oxygen uh huh, and not a lot else. And they said, no, we're we're basically transport. We keep try to keep people alive on the way to the hospital. So you and I have talked back and forth and based on your background, you know, there, there is, there is some, there's some talk about a two tiered system and mm-hmm. there's, and based on your work with, you know, the medical and well, the work, the body of work, you touch on those elements and you and I have chatted time and time again about it, how a two tiered system would, it, it's currently in place. And the BC medical system is failing miserably. Epically. And we don't seem to have any kind of thought process coming from this election cycle of people going, here's the idea forward. And again, we keep going back to this two-tiered system. And what are your thoughts today? And, and do you think this is something that we need to entertain and if not employ? I, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, Adrian Dix has to go. Like, if you want to, if we're going to get into like what are the, what are our challenges right now in in British Columbia healthcare, one leadership's got to change. You know, right or wrong, you know what went on through COVID. He doesn't have public support in my eyes, so that's challenge number one. Here's challenge number two: hire back the twenty five hundred nurses that you let go because they refused to get vaccinated. I, I mean, listen. You and I have had this conversation many times. Chose to get vaccinated. I would do it again. That's not the issue. Um, but the reality is there's 2,500 uh, nurses that could be employed in our hospitals that are not today. So th- those are simplistic things. But, like, there's a there's a fundamental issue with healthcare, specifically in British Columbia. Like, again, to your point, you know, we were talking about this. It's Everyone thinks or a lot of people think that it's, you know, that it's the same challenge across across the board. It's not the case. British Columbia is a disaster, um, and and it's arguably in the back of the NDP. It's been long enough that you can't blame the Liberals for this. Now, did they inherit? Uh, nothing's go- going well. But but again, a lot of if I, statistically, if you look at any study that compares us to other countries that offer socialized health care, funding is not our issue, which means bureaucracy is our challenge, right? So we are not getting dollars to where they need to go, which is to hire nurses, to hire to hire uh, to hire specialists, um, to to functionally work. And, you know, I don't know the story, but but what you just explained. I mean, a, a, an, somebody that's in an ambulance, um, 
um, is trained as a, as a paramedic should have all the resources that they need, defibrillators, uh, it should not stop at oxygen. I mean, I mean, revival of a person on site should be the first and foremost um, f- for them to do, right? Not not transport. Well, and again, it brought back the discussion I had around the table, which was, what are your thoughts, uh, you know, going forward? And, and this uh, highly trained first responder from Alberta said, don't get sick in BC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like that. That's really what he said. He said, there's, you know, and and he also talked about the fact that an ambulance crew can't leave a patient that they've brought to the hospital until somebody signs that person over to a doctor or attending physician. And that sometimes ties up the, the EMTs for God knows how long, like 16 hours. And, and that they are looking after that person for that time and, and taking them fundamentally off the street. So, Mm He said, we have to turn this system upside down. But the other thing is, further to your point, the funding isn't the problem. So where is that money going? And if, if you've seen interior health, like the first three or four floors, there's a lot of admin. Yep. And I know people that work in there and they said, no, no, it's, it's a machine. Like there's an army in there. And I, again, I, I don't want to comment but I do <laughs> that it seems like administrators take up a lot of the money and they take up a lot of the funding. And, and again, I'm, I'm not here to criticize and say that we don't need some documentation around medical. We do, but I'm having some struggles here and I'm starting to see some, some cracks in the armor, big cracks like crevices. And I think we need, we need to act quickly if we're even going to recoup any of this, these flaws. Either that or it collapses in on itself. And that's mm-hmm. going to get ugly because people are going to die that shouldn't die. You know, and those are the things. I, and again, I, I don't, I mean, oh, the person that, that the next person that's inherit inherits this or the person that gets us out of this, because somebody will, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it might, it might be, there might be a lot of life lost before it happens, but boy, is that going to be, they're, they're going to be burdened with a. Who would report on that though? Like I, I do often wonder about that because if, if anything, the provincial government is very good at press conferences yep. and, and how they release data. But I wonder how that would be even calculated because if you can get the metrics surrounding that and the measurements around who who doesn't actually show up on our – like the weight room was one indicator for that stat about weight room times yep. and people to see the doctor and that was – ridiculous and that was well unfathomable actually that was one metric but i wonder how many other metrics are sitting out there that we can actually go here this is really a big problem oh there's tons but you just have to i mean it takes research and you have to dive into them but they're available i mean i again they're in there they're in um how you digest them are in such bite-sized pieces because they're in such silos but like let me give you an example like um, right now, seeing a, seeing a doctor, whether you have one or not, is is nearly impossible unless it's urgent, and then they're going to tell you to go to merge or urgent care, both of which are are days wait, so people don't. Um, but again, when we're not proactively um, we're not proactively um, scanning women under the age of forty for breast cancer, there's a direct correlation between a spike in breast cancer in 
in five and 10 years from now um, and it not being done. And that's going to exist across the line for men with, with its prostate cancer. And I think the line's 40 or 45 or 50, um, like this just ticks along, right? So, so these are, those are the metrics. And again, this is why this is not a quick fix. Um, it will be a generational fix, but, but that is what's going to happen is we're just going to hit a place where unfortunately, you know, people are going to die and, and people are going to say they've had enough and then, and then it may affect change. And it's interesting though, that we pivoted so quickly for the COVID crisis and we allocated resources. Like, I mean, when you talked about fundamentally flipping into a reactionary Mm -hmm. emergency response, we did that. And I think on a grand scale across different countries, different borders, there was a lot of resources because we said, okay, it's coming. This is the second, third, fourth wave. And we, it seemed like I felt like there was a readiness there. Yep. And now all of a sudden we've, you know, the crisis has for all intents and purposes averted itself. And, and now we have 2,500 people still looking on the outside, looking in going, well, I'm not vax, so I can't. And who have probably found jobs in Alberta yeah. or, or any other province. Cause I still think we have an emergency measures act, which still allows this, this, um, I don't know, this Adrian Dix vendetta, uh, it's still to continue. I think. Yeah, I don't know what the I, – I, I, I think it's just their call. I actually – I don't know what it is that allows them to give them – that allows them the power to say that 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 they have to be vaccinated for COVID to work. Um, but, I, I, but again, it just – it seems ridiculous to me that we had 2,500 people in return to their job and, and what a significant difference that would make and relief it would make. But, but again, this, Rick, this goes right back to like – Again, I live in the hospital area and like, again, you get into parking. I mean, I watch these nurses and support workers and x-ray techs, you know, scramble to find parking four blocks away to go to their shift. You know, like, like we don't treat people f- correctly or fairly. Like, I mean, if, if, if we treated our employees that way, no one would work for us. Right. Like, you know, they can't, and again, they can't, they can't figure out, and it's complicated with the unions, very strong unions, British Columbia, um, that I'm not sure and have the best interest of the public or for that matter, their members um, these days. But, but again, there's, there's, there's layers to this. So you go, man, I, I think if you, I think if somebody just dived in and started cutting and carving, I think you'd probably have an answer and maybe I'm euphoric around it, but you know, this happened in, in, in whatever it was, 98 or 99 when Gordon Campbell came into power. And, and again, like any government, you know, they, they were, it was awesome for at least those first four years. And I would say definitely into his next four, you know, he pulled back the golden pensions of MLAs and, and he said, we're not doing this in healthcare anymore. And things got moving and they got going well. And you know what nurses turns out they didn't starve. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, they did, they did some things that really got things going the right direction. And I would suggest that's probably what we need. I don't know if it is Kevin Falcon or not, um, but that will be the fundamental change that'll probably that'll probably start start the domino effect. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. 
featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. Let's uh, let's turn the page here a little bit. The uh, you told me an interesting story about the ArriveCan app mm. and the fact that uh, over the the weekend. <laughs> Um, there was some sort of contest around developers. Tell me a bit about this, uh, this hilarious, uh, turn of events. So the arrive can app total dollar amount spent right now is $54 million, right? That's what they're saying. On, on creating the app. Yep. Okay. De- development. Okay. Uh, and it's hard to sort through because everything's under confidentiality, um, which is ridiculous, but anyway, uh, so $54 million is the marker being reported by, by by most media outlets um, today. So, uh, I, I mean, again, I'm putting some personally in perspective. So, I I I am the CEO and own a tech company that that creates uh, insurance software, and uh, we've been at it for for we've been the system's been functional for two years. We had two years of development prior to it going live. Our total development of this system, which is a, so so transacts payments to members, transacts payments from employers, um, has to be integrated with RBC for that to happen or another bank. Uh, we have to we're integrated with Telus because Telus is our PBM. So for most people who don't know, Telus is the largest drug adjudicator in Canada. Um, there's really only three options: Telus, ESI, and 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 um, Green Shield Claim Secure. So again, these are and these are complicated. Builds um, the transaction is complicated. It has to be done in real time. Our total development cost, if you were just to isolate it to date, is one point seven million dollars. Arrivescan is 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 fifty four million. Over the weekend, a whole bunch of a whole bunch, a couple of tech companies uh, based out of Toronto um, that are more focused on on what we call build, like buy builds. So like you can you can you have an idea, you can go to them. They're going to say, hey, here it is. It's 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 a million bucks, right? So they both two two tech companies in Toronto ran uh, contests over Thanksgiving uh, weekend for their for their for their team members to um, to build the Arrive Can app from scratch, <laughs> and independently two different developers did it in forty eight hours alone, <laughs> and in a ba- in in their mom's basement. Yep. Now, arguably, they had. They had the framework, so they knew what they were out to do, mm-hmm. right? That when you start talking about mapping and you're trying to break new ground, like that can be a little bit challenging. But, but so they knew what they were doing. So, but the crazy part is, like most most developers have come publicly said in Canada, like this to build this with some buffer was a million dollars, two hundred and fifty k on the on the low end mm-hmm. uh, and we've had to mimic it so they didn't even copy code they wrote they they wrote code from scratch that was part of the deal like if you read the article uh, that they and they needed to look and you're gonna and as soon as Google and Apple approve it which Apple won't Google will um, you could download their mock arrive can app and and people that's your tax dollars that's our tax dollars at work and this is scandal number I can't remember. Yeah. Right behind we SNC Lavalin, like it just never, it's never ending. And it is the elitist liberals patting the pockets of their friends in Ottawa and Ontario with your tax dollars. And, and what was other the other interesting point about the Rivecan app was the amount of positive reviews that you and I talked about. I love that part. Because it takes money and resources and bots to create those reviews. Like some of them were, 
I can't believe travel is so easy with the Arrive Can app. Right. Like, talk about a canned response and reviews. And the reality is, if you know anything about the online world, I mean, I mean, Google's probably the only review that that is legitimate. Um, and again, it can be manipulated. And again, if you get a bad review and it's not like we got a whole team that has to counter bad reviews if we get them, mm-hmm. because a lot of the reviews we get that are bad are actually not from users. Um, they're, 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 we're either being attacked or they're bought reviews or we haven't done business with somebody. And so they come out and attack us and we actually have to go in and we have a whole team that goes on and says, Hey, Tom. Uh, so we can't find you on our system. Um, you're giving us a one star and we just want to know where you would come up with that because, um, based on, based on, um, your profile, you're, you're not a user and you have to be a user. Right. And so that's the best we can do is, is we can respond and say, here's the reasons that, that, and if you actually start to pay attention to that stuff, you'll see businesses that have to do it all the time. So it's a resource and it's money that we have to, uh, that we have to allocate to that. The liberals literally got their review. Like, I mean, it's insanity, right? So there's, it's not plausible for it to be real. And that's the part that's crazy, right? Is they, again, wasted your taxpayer dollars having, having probably, uh, overseas, um, um, uh, people, um, write fake reviews about the app. So is there, cause I mean, we could go on and on about the arrive can app, but are there people out there? And I, I asked this question just because I'm wondering, with with really the the dumpster fire that that is the Liberal government, and and with the bridge to the NDP, and some might even say the the Liberals have taken the NDP platform and just you know pretty much moved it over, mm-hmm. and and for anybody that's a card carrying Liberal, would they now say that this is this Liberal iteration is now a great idea or concept or symbolic of my own views as a liberal. And I think you and I have talked about the fact that that, that line is fundamentally changed, but I mean, going forward, cause Trudeau, I, I have to think he's somewhere on the way out, but once he's gone, do those liberals stay with that party? Like that, that's the one question I'm wondering is, can you still say this is the party that represents my views? And, and I don't know. And, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm not trying to go after him. And if he's a friend of yours, I apologize. But listen, Stephen Fear used to say that he was a conservative turned liberal because he was he, he felt the party wasn't aligned with him anymore. I, I would I and I have, which is what I find ironic. I just can't believe he can defend this eight years later after he after he lost the seat that this is OK. I, I mean, listen, this is a group that produced this is legitimate. Again, uh, National Post wrote an article about it today. Matt wrote, wrote an article about it where um, they produced uh, talking points called Turkey Talk for Thanksgiving to counter your conservative relatives. What? This is legit. Tax dollars went in. It was posted. It was liberal propaganda that said, "Hey, having the family over for having family over for Thanksgiving, got a conservative uncle. Get caught up with the facts. When your uncle says that the economy is in ruins and inflation is through the roof, you need to tell him that Pierre Polyev's agenda is to um, to uh, make sure abortion is not viable in this country anymore." I can't make that up. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. 
A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. What I like is when I listen to uh, Question Period and and see, and, and again, this is curated by the Pierre Polyev camp, so I, I understand that. Thank you very much. But when I see the back and forth of raising taxes, carbon taxes, which is, of course, the, the volatility right now, and that's the big issue, and you see the back and forth, they talk there's no direct addressing the query from the floor. So uh, we would like to know, are you going to raise taxes based on the fact that, you know, inflation has hit a seven-year high? What I would like to know is if the conservatives feel this way about fundamentally house, we're writing checks for the, uh, the prepayment of rent. And we would like to know if the conservatives are on board with that $400 check that we're sending out to Canadians. Uh, what? Like you didn't, you didn't even try to answer the carbon tax question. You just went to some initiative that you're writing a check. So that's the part I, I think a lot of people get frustrated by is it's it's politicking at its best, oh. which is avoid, you know, really it's smoke and mirrors for the most part. Well, I, I mean, question period is such political theater that is playing to Pierre right now more than anybody because he's so good at producing those videos. That's what I do if I just need a break. Watch Pierre beat up Christian Freeland I for know. five minutes. It's quite I... fun. And I just wonder, like, I just don't think, I guess liberals probably just don't tune in. or, or And again, I'm a political junkie at all levels and I get it. I'm an outlier and all those things. But, you, you know, my, I just, I want to go here as you brought up on Canadian, because I know you're a proponent of Canadian energy and I'm mm -hmm. a proponent of Canadian energy mm -hmm. and I got kids and you got kids and I don't want to leave them a, a crappy planet. In fact, I'm hoping to be around here for another 50 years, maybe 60. So I'm not interested in fires and hurricanes, all these things either. But like, when will we stop the insanity that stopping producing Canadian, like this idea that Canadian energy is bad, like when, when, why can't, if you're so set on, on saving the environment, why can you not connect the dots that producing Canadian LNG and shipping it to Europe or China, where they're burning coal so badly that people die from the coal dust? Um, it, it, like, I don't, I guess I just don't get it. The other part is this idea of impoverishing our own people when we produce one and a half percent of the emissions worldwide. Like, so like when gas is $9 a liter here and, and everybody is living in poverty because no one can buy a Tesla anyway. Um, and we've, and nothing's changed because China can turn it on and off our, our savings in about a day. Like it, it just, I, what, like. It, I I don't know. Like, I just, I knew, I know this frustrates me. And I'm curious, like, because you go down this path all the time. I know, I know this. And, I, and I'm like, is that, and again, this is the, our prime minister and mm. his environment minister, who's a criminal. I'll just remind you of that. Stephen Gobert is, is locked himself and jumped off towers and did all the things in the name of Greenpeace and now drives more kilometers in a suburban with a driver in a month. Than, than like 10 household families. But anyway, let's set that aside. They believe that there are, do they believe that? Or, 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 or is the conspiracy theory true 
that they're all on the payroll WEF and that they're trying to drive this country into poverty? Like, well, what is it? Well, part of it that I, I mean, again, if, if you've uh, listened to the news, there is a bunch of different oil freighters that come up and down the coast that are delivering oil from foreign lands. And we're paying for that oil. And again, the same oil that could be pumped from our land, and we could actually create jobs and create infrastructure around that. Uh, that for me is, is it just because of the fact that Canadians go, okay, well, someone's got the rudder. I'm sure this there's a reason for that. But I'm, I struggle with that piece very much every single day because the countries we're buying for from – these are not these are not great countries where they are sustainably pulling it from the ground. Like they're not. I don't think there's a ton of conditions around that. So I think that's the part I have a problem with. When we could fundamentally high tide raises all boats. I don't know why we're not seeing that from a from a the silent majority of Canadians who are smart people. They're educated. They're not going. Well, wait a second. Why are we doing that? Why are we buying all this foreign oil? And why are we not? You know creating it from our own our own wealth when we're writing checks like we're, we're writing checks to governments that are not treating women they're not treating journalists very well and that's the part i have a big big problem with uh, on top of everything else so francois legault has no problems accepting transfer payments takes them all the time wants more but blocks alberta oil from flowing into quebec and 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 the federal government is silent on it, and and to be honest, because I I do like to I I I know I know I just love to beat the crap out of those guys. But the reality is not the first government to be silent on it. Everyone, um, everyone totes to Quebec because frankly they have a disproportionate amount of seats in the in the federal government. And if you don't, the concern is that you will get voted out. But at what point is there a breaking point? At what point does somebody step up and say, this is, an, this is insanity? At what point do Quebecers stand up and go, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us? Like, As long as those transfer payments are, are rolling, uh, I think no Quebecer in his right mind would say anything. Because the gravy train still continues to run, even though it seems to be getting less and less, but oil keeps going up and up. Like, And again, do... And this was brought up to me as I traveled through Alberta, my homeland, uh, where people were saying a lot of times you have firms that will leave uh, a place that is fundamentally not receptive to your company. And and a lot of people were saying like during the last uh, depression of, of oil, a lot of those firms went down to Texas and they never came back. Well, they're paying, again, the other big one is they're paying excessive dividends right now and because they're not reinvesting in resources, mm-hmm. which which there's no long game to that. So here's a question. You were there. How, what about what about the Savior Daniel Smith and her Sovereignty Act? I I mean, I guess, I guess because I'm from this valley and we have this weird tie, like we're almost Albertans to some degree. You know, I guess we hang out with them all summer. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and they butter our bread. And so I got a lot of time and patience for them. And I got a lot of time and patience for the oil patch. Like... I kind of like her because she's the counter to me of Legault. And again, I'm, I'm not, it's not about the fact he's French. It's, it's, I fundamentally don't like his policy. I don't, I don't like his policy on Canadian oil. I don't like his policy on immigration. I don't like the way he, he is restricting religious freedoms, right? These are things that are, that, that are, are important, you know? I, I do find that society 
seems to have a pendulum and it goes back and forth. And if you just stand back far enough, you see this historical element of that. And I, I think Alberta was just like, all right, let's see what this side goes to. And, and Daniel Smith is one of those people where I saw her campaign video and, and I started chuckling because she was literally guns blazing, pow, pow, pow. Here's we're going to look after us first. Separatism is not a bad idea. Like th there's a lot of stuff that she said that, and you think we're going to follow mandates next time they try to jam it down our throats or we're going to push back. Like she was literally sitting there in the saloon firing up the piano. Like it was crazy. And I thought... But that's what they wanted to hear. They're sick and tired of sitting back and just getting beaten down. And they, they just said fundamentally enough. So I, did the pendulum swing? Was there an overcorrection? Maybe. <laughs> I think a lot of the Albertans are going, okay, can we moderate this a little bit? And hopefully when she comes into government, she she steps back yeah. a little bit from a lot of those things, which we think what Pierre Polyev would do if he got the office is – he just re he dial it back a little bit, but not enough because that's what got him elected. Yep, I, I would agree. And I think municipally that's what people are looking for too. They want, they're just tired of hearing the same old crap. Mm -hmm. And I think they want change. And I think people are at a breaking point, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. <laughs> You just brought it back around. I'm good at that. Well done, thank sir. Thank you. As always, uh, a very fun uh, hour, and I appreciate you very much, sir. Uh, thanks so much again. for coming in. Thanks, Rick.